I want to, uh, this morning, just continue on with the theme of renewing the mind that I uh, started two weeks ago, and I, I may stay on this for a little while. Uh, it's just something I feel the Lord has stirred in my heart, and I do firmly believe that renewing the mind is God's process, his divinely appointed biblical process for transformation. I think as Pentecostals, we have, uh, in, in to, uh, bygone eras, have fallen into the trap of thinking everything can be fixed at an altar call. Uh, but unless an altar call alters your call, the altar call will do nothing. Um, you know, we, we think if I just touch God, I'll be changed. If I have an encounter in his presence, I'll be changed. Don't get me wrong. God encounters are wonderful. They can be life-changing. They can be life-altering. But it starts a process whereby change happens through a thing called renewing our mind. Uh, God does miracles at the altar call. He does miracles at the moment of salvation. He can break chains. He can unleash bondages. But unless we go through the process of renewing our mind and changing the way that we think, more often than not, we will eventually slip back into the old pattern of living. God is into miracles, but he has ordained a process for us to walk upon that will actually change us in a lasting, fruitful and ongoing way. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, uh, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be what transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. There's the key to permanent change. If you have struggled your life through, if you have battled with bondage and addiction, if you have struggled with fears and phobias and all those things that can hold you down and keep you from actually living life to the full, right there is the key to fixing that problem. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The New Living Translation puts it like this, don't copy the behaviour and patterns of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, most of us grow up negatively influenced and affected by the personal world in which we live. You won't escape pain in this life. Many of us are positively influenced, but I would say all of us have been influenced to some degree or another in a negative uh, way that has helped shape who we have become as people today. Um, you know, some have grown up overly criticised by, by parents or teachers, authority figures in their life and over a period of time that constant chipping away of the fabric of your soul does a lot of damage in the shaping of who you become as an adult. Others have felt the pain of rejection, either rejection by family, rejection by friends or other significant uh, social settings in life. Schoolyard bullying, I, I believe, has injected more emotional poison into the soul of a young person than we fully understand. And the damage that can often be done by children, kids can be cruel. And, you know, not even thinking of the long-term impact and effect that the things they say and do to one another uh, will ultimately have 
on their life as an adult. Some feel socially branded. And uh, we, we see this a lot um, Thursday night at Hope Cafe. There are people who, who now, as adults, are living life with this, this stigma upon them that they feel socially branded because of foolish choices or decisions that they have made in times gone by, whether uh, decisions that have fallen them afoul of the law or decisions that have given them a bad reputation in the community, whatever it is, they seem to be living today with this unshakable reputation that, that they think, I'm going to take this to my grave. People are never going to see me any differently to what they now see me. Those things can actually be changed. Um, you know, many people have grown up constantly surrounded by poverty and the the stigmas that that can actually bring, uh, particularly to the heart, the mind and the soul. Uh, there's a lot of poverty in our nation. Um, it's not like third world nations. It's, it's different. I, I think a lot of our poverty today is, is um, really created by inner pain that drives us to um, obsessive behaviour, compulsive behaviour, addictive behaviour that then becomes an expensive lifestyle that then channels our money into something that doesn't build our life and then we have nothing left to live on. So that's the kind of poverty I believe we have today. But there are people who have grown up with poverty and, and the stigmas that that brings has moulded and shaped the kind of people that they have become today. Physical, emotional and sexual abuse is a shocking thing but it's, it's rife. It's happening in all quadrants of life today. It's not just happening in the church. The eyes of the community are on the church, particularly as a result of the recent Royal Commission. But it happens in a lot of places. It's not just the church. It should never happen in the church. But let's be honest, it shouldn't happen anywhere. Um, but those kinds of abusive things that young people, particularly vulnerable people, find themselves under, shape who they become as adults and it breaks something in their heart, it breaks something in their mind, their emotion, in their soul that causes them to, to, to grow up with all kinds of issues in life as an adult. Perhaps something has happened to you, a tragic event. We had Lauren Parker here last Sunday uh, sitting with us. Lauren was in a tragic accident. She was an athlete on her way to the Olympics. Uh, in a training session on her cycle because she was in the triathlons, uh, hit a, a road barrier and uh, lost the, the use of the lower half of her body. And uh, that now appears to be permanent. Uh, she's picked herself up, got a great attitude and a great spirit and is now training with Kurt Fernley here in Newcastle and is now aiming for the Paralympics. Now, when I saw her on Sunday, I was just surprised how broad her shoulders have become because now she's doing all the work with her arms. But there are some people... When tragedy strikes, it, it totally changes the course of their life to the point where they can't get the motivation to say, well, I'm going to choose to live with this and do something different. I'm going to, I'm going to make this work to my advantage, not to my detriment. But perhaps, you know, there are some of you here, you've had tragic things happen in your life. Turns of events that you were unexpected, the death of a loved one, the loss of a spouse, the breakup of a marriage, whatever it is, um, if, if those things happen, particularly younger in your life, they play a significant role in shaping who you've become as an adult. Perhaps it's things we've done, things we regret, things we are embarrassed about, things that we are ashamed of. Whatever our experiences, as we have developed in life, they have all played a significant role in shaping who we are today. They've all had, I believe, and I don't think this is generalising, they have all had copious 
amounts of input into the development of our inner feelings, our beliefs, and ultimately our mindsets. Our mindsets are our ingrained way of thinking. And the older we get, the more set in our ways we will become. Margot told me that the other day. You're becoming very set in your ways. I am melancholic. I have got a touch of OCD and things have to be just right. If she spills something, I'm usually there cleaning up before she even finishes making the mess. Um, you know, and I've become very set in my ways. As I, that, that's just been influences that I have been exposed to as I've grown up. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but it can be a negative thing that can really influence us in a bad way. But many of the, those mindsets that we have developed have now produced very real feelings of low self-worth, failure, paranoia, and so on. Such life experiences, those lists that I just read out now, such life experiences have fueled the development of debilitating fears, phobias, resentments, jealousies, anger, social dysfunctions, and personality disorders. We live in a very broken world, and it's as broken in the church as what it is outside the church. And the reason I believe there is as much brokenness in the church as there is outside is because we haven't grasped this biblical process called renewing the mind. According to the Bible, all of our problems in life find their roots in our mind. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 tells us that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's an interesting statement. As a man thinks in his heart, what he dwells upon, what he thinks about, what he meditates on, what he, he focuses upon in life. That's why Paul said, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are of good report, whatsoever things are praiseworthy, let your mind dwell on these things because what our mind dwells on is what we become in life. As a man thinks in his heart, his heart, the heart is a part of our soul, the mind, the emotions, the will, that's our heart. So what we focus on and dwell on is, is, is the thing that will determine whether we are confident, whether we are bold, whether we are uh, uh, free of those debilitating inner emotional issues, what we think about. Jeremy was just telling me now in the meet and greet time, uh, you need to keep praying for Jeremy. He's finished his radiation, his chemo, and he's now on the up and on the mend. So keep praying for him. But he just said to me, you know, he said, when I take my eyes off Jesus, I start to sink. And I said to him, I said, that just proves the Scripture to me that the mind that is dwelling on him, he will keep in perfect peace. And he said, his experience has, has verified the Scriptures, basically. When I take my eyes off Jesus, I can feel myself begin to sink. Jesus wants us not to be sinking in what he's called us to walk on. So we have to change the way we think in order to lift our life to the level of breakthrough that he wants us to live at. How I think will determine how I feel. And how I feel will more often than not control how I live. If I want to positively bring true and lasting change into my life and break those things off, the baggage of the past, the experiences of the past that have molded me into an insecure, 
fearful, um, you know, troubled, dysfunctional human being, if I want to break that off and live the abundant life that Jesus has died to give us, then I have to with the help of Jesus. Thank God we got Jesus with us. He doesn't call us to do this on our own. This is not a self-help program. This is not 10 steps to success. This is Jesus saying, I want to take you by the hand and I want to walk you out of the pain. I want to walk you out of the baggage. I want to, I want to break the chains off your soul. And we're going to do this together. But to do this together, the process is changing my mind. Be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I renew my mind? How do I renew those ingrained thinking patterns, those mindsets that have become strongholds in my life, a stronghold that has, has really kept me constantly defaulting back to a, a thinking pattern that has developed over a period? How do I change? How do I Some of those things are really hard to break. Some of them are so difficult. They've got such a deep root in our, our mind fabric that, that they can be really hard to break. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And He is an ever-present help in those journeys and in those challenges. And He wants to walk with us every step of the way. He wants to do life with us. How do I change my mind? Let me make a statement. If you're taking notes, write it quickly. Our mind is changed by revelation, not information. You've got to get that. Our mind is changed by revelation, not information. It starts with information, but unless that information becomes revelation, there will be no transformation. You want me to say that again? Our mind is changed by revelation, not information. It starts with information, but unless that information becomes revelation, there will be no lasting transformation. I've been reading over the last couple of days a few stories in the Bible and one of them has been Luke's chapter 24. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were walking the seven mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They were two of Jesus' disciples and they were walking to Emmaus on the very morning that Jesus rose from the dead. Three days after he was crucified, they were so discouraged. They were so downcast. They had heard that Jesus had risen from the dead. They had received the report that the women had gone to the tomb, found the tomb empty. Peter had run to the tomb and found the tomb empty. And they came back saying, he is not here. He is risen because angels came, appeared to us. We had a, an incredible God encounter and, and he is alive. That was information for them. It was not a revelation. Because when you read the story, they're walking on the road to Emmaus, discussing amongst themselves what had happened over the last few days and how Jesus had been crucified and their hopes had been dashed and they were so downcast that they were, they were just despondent. They were actually going home. On the very day that Jesus had risen from the grave, they're going home. They lived in Emmaus. So they're walking along and the story tells us that Jesus appeared and walked up alongside of them. And God prevented them from recognising him. I find that interesting. When I read that, I think, you know, I don't think God plays peekaboo with us. And I don't think he plays hard to get. But I think he wants to know that we're hungry for revelation. 
because God prevented them from seeing. And I wonder whether he prevented it to just see how, how hungry they would be to find out the truth. And Jesus comes alongside of them. They think he's a stranger. And he said, what are you talking about? You guys look so intent. And in the New Living, New Living Translation, the Bible says their face was covered with sadness. Jesus was already risen from the grave. But these two guys are sad. They'd already been told that he'd risen from the grave. They'd already been told that the tomb was empty. They'd already been told the testimony of the angelic manifestation that had declared he was risen from the dead. But it was information and it was information that had no impact upon transforming their life. Because they're now going home. Rather than investigating and digging deeper, they're going home. So Jesus said, well, what are you talking about? He said, don't you know what's been happening in Jerusalem over the last three days? Are you the only person in this city who hasn't got a clue? He said, tell me. And so they open up and they begin to unfold how Jesus was a great prophet, anointed by God. He did great miracles and declared great truths. He did great teaching sessions that caused crowds to come. He, he healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. He raised the dead. But... The religious leaders and the, and the leading priests condemned him to death and they crucified him. And then they said these words, we had hoped that he would have been the Messiah. <laughs> they, had, they had walked with Jesus all this time. They had seen the miracles. They're testifying of the miracles. But now something had happened that, that they, they had the information that Jesus had risen from the dead, but it wasn't revelation. And then Jesus begins to challenge them. He said, you guys are foolish. He said, don't you understand what the scripture teaches that the Messiah had to suffer in the way that he did and the Messiah had to go through what he went through before he could enter into the glory of heaven and achieve what he had come to achieve. And the Bible tells us in Luke 24 that Jesus, they didn't know it was Jesus yet, but this, this guy just comes alongside and begins to explain from Moses and all the prophets why Jesus had to suffer, why these things had to happen. And he's going, you guys have got to understand here, this is all part of of a divine process. They're listening, but it's still only information. How often do we sit in church and we hear the Word of God preached and we go out with nothing more than information in our mind and that's why nothing changes. It's because the information has to become revelation. They then get to Emmaus and Jesus pretended to continue walking. And they said, hang on a minute. They were so impressed by this guy's information they said, look, well, it's getting late in the day. Why don't you come and stay at our place? So Jesus took the invite. He was kind of hoping that would happen. And then the Bible tells us in Luke 24 that they sat around the table. Jesus took bread, broke it, blessed it and gave it to them. At that point, their eyes were opened. They recognised it was Jesus through the breaking of bread and the giving of the bread and the blessing of the bread. Their eyes were opened. And it's interesting. It goes on and says, the moment their eyes were opened, Jesus disappeared. Oh, that would be so annoying. It's like, it's him. Where did he go? We just walked all the way from Jerusalem with him. He just sat down at our He's gone. It was him. Did you, did you see it? Was, I know it was him. Like they would have been in such a flap. And then they said to each other, did not our heart burn within us? As he was talking to us along the road to... You know, Here's what was happening. They were in the presence of Jesus meditating on the scriptures and the process had started where the information was trying to um, uh, metamorph into revelation. It was starting to happen. And then they, they get to the house and it's, you know, the longer we sit in the presence of Jesus with our Bible open, 
the greater chance you've got of information becoming revelation, which will lead to transformation. And so, you know, here's the interesting thing. They were so transformed by the revelation, the information that had become revelation. They had just walked the seven mile journey in sandals on dusty wild kind of roads. They didn't have the cycleways we have today, but seven miles is still like 10, 12 kilometers. They had walked all that way. They were tired. They sat down. They had been there. And the Bible then says within an hour, they walked back to Jerusalem. Within an hour. They went back. They found the other apostles, disciples, and they began to share what had happened on the road to Emmaus. And the moment they shared it, Jesus reappeared in their setting and begin to teach them and talk to them. Information has to become revelation. Elisha's servant is another classic example. You know, it's a fascinating story. The, the king of Syria is, is plotting an invasion of Israel. And he is gathering his war council. And they get together and they strategize. They've got their maps, they've got their ships, they've got their, their, their battalions and they're working out, we're going to come down through this passage. We're going to, and they, what do you think? Do you think that's a good strategy? Yeah, well, that's not a good place to come through. We could be ambushed there. And they're strategizing. While they're strategizing, heaven puts in a wireless frequency because wireless wasn't around then, but heaven had Wi-Fi. We didn't have it, but heaven had it. Heaven's got everything. Even the stuff we haven't got yet, heaven's got it. God puts a Wi-Fi in there and a wireless transmission way across the land into the ear of Elisha. And he can hear what's going on in the war room. And you think, what's this? This is the king of Assyria plotting to invade Israel. Elisha then goes off to the king of Israel and tells him what the king of Assyria is planning. Now, he was sceptical. The king of Israel was thinking, oh, yeah, maybe. How do you know this stuff? I mean, I've got scouts. I've got people out there. You know, it's like, how do you know this stuff? The Bible tells us in, in 2 Kings chapter 6 that the king sent people to the place. And sure enough, it was true. Everything that Elisha had said was true. And he did this time after time after time. And every single time the king of Israel thwarted the strategy of the nation of Syria trying to take their land and overcame them. Now the king of Syria gets really ticked off. He calls his war council and said, who's the traitor? Someone's talking outside of this room. But somebody had picked up something somewhere. He said, your majesty, it's not one of us. It's Elisha. Whatever we discuss in this war room, somehow Elisha finds out about it. Well, then someone's telling him, I think he's got a direct line to heaven who has a direct line to us. And it's Elisha. Elisha then becomes a HVT. Do you know what a HVT is? High-valued target. It's a term that was coined during Desert Storm and uh, 9-11 and, uh, you know, Bin Laden was a HVT, a high-valued target. And, and the Americans did a lot to get their high-valued target. They would expend resources to get one man because of his influence, because of the resources at his disposal, because of what he could do as one man and the influence that he wielded. They, they labelled them. There was, he was number four on the rank, number six on the rank, number wherever it was, they'd have their top 10 HVTs, high-valued targets, and they would expend uh, uh, information. They would expend all kinds of um, um, 
intelligence and, and, and research and cracking codes and what have you to find these HVTs. Elisha had now become the first HVT on the planet. And the king of Syria releases all of his resources. Get this man. Get this guy. He is a bad influence. He will stop what we are trying to do. We've got to block him at every turn. So he sends the whole Syrian army after Elisha. Elisha's asleep with his servant. The servant gets up, walks outside. He looks up and there's the entire Syrian army surrounding him. He says, alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha then says, chill. There are more for us than there are against us. Information. You get that? There are more for us than there are. I have information that I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. But if I don't have a revelation of it, I will not overcome the things that are trying to hold me back. If I don't have a a revelation that I am loved, that I am accepted, as Shelley shared around the communion table today, I will constantly live with this rejection syndrome. I will constantly live with these fears, these phobias, these social dysfunctions that have developed in my life. Unless I I go from information to revelation, uh, you know, I, I... how much time have I got? You know, I love the story of Mary and Martha. Lazarus dies. Jesus holds. Lazarus is sick. They tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick and Jesus waits. And he waits. Lazarus is getting sicker and sicker. And so he waits. And then Lazarus dies. And then he says, now let's go to Lazarus. Doesn't make sense, but he's God. So he goes to Lazarus. And, and, and I can't remember whether it was Mary or Martha. I think it was Martha. I said, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. If you had only been here, he would have survived this. If you had only come, I've seen you, you, you know, heal sick people and open blind eyes. I've seen you do it. If you had only been here. And, and Jesus is just looking at her while she's just spewing all this stuff out all over him. And in the end, he says, Martha, he says, Martha, your brother will rise again. Information. Do you believe this? She'd been to Bible college. She said, yes, I believe he will rise again in the last day at the resurrection. (laughs) Martha, Martha, I'm telling you, look at me. Your brother will rise again. Yes, I know he will rise again. I've studied end time doctrine. I've said information. It'll do nothing to alleviate your fears and your worries and your concern until it becomes revelation. And Jesus is trying to give her revelation saying, I am the resurrection. Don't wait for a resurrection. I am the resurrection. I'm here in the flesh. You know, your brother will rise again. Do you believe this? But she was struggling with it. I call them unbelieving believers. We say we believe, but all we believe is information. I guarantee if every one of us was asked, do you believe God loves you? We would all say yes. But our lifestyle often shows that we don't have a confidence that he actually does love us, that he actually does care about us. We need information to go to revelation. Otherwise, there'll be no transformation. There are more for us than there are against us. It did nothing to ease that man's anxieties until Elisha prayed. (laughs) What did he pray? Lord, open his eyes. Revelation. When the information becomes revelation, because my eyes have been opened and I see the fullness of this. I see the impact of this. And when that happens, honestly, your life changes. 
the moment his eyes were open, he thought, look at those angelic warriors. Mate, I wonder if these guys can see them because if they did, they'd be out of here in a flash. And then down come the army. And Elisha just says to them, no, I'm not the guy you're looking for. He said, but I know where he is. I can take you to him. And then Elisha says, Lord, strike them all blind. And he did. The whole army went blind. He said, okay, guys, I'll lead you the way. So he leads them right into the heart of Israel, right into the hand of the king that they were trying to overcome. It's an amazing story. It's, it, you can see the hand of God's protection. We worry about the big things in life, that if we would just get our eyes on the big God that we serve, the big things in life diminish in the eyes of the big God we serve. And when the big God gets bigger, the big problems get smaller. And, and we just can realise that it doesn't matter who's coming against us. There are more for us than there are against us. We are more than conquerors through Him that loves us. If we would just lock arms with him and walk with him. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. The key to moving from information to revelation is found in meditation. I'm on a roll, aren't I? (laughs) The key to moving from information to revelation is found in meditation. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3 said, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with Mockers, conforming to the ways of this world. This is the Old Testament talking before its time. Those who do not follow the advice of the wicked stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Those who do not allow themselves to be conformed to the patterns of this world. But they what? They delight in the law of the Lord, in the word of God, meditating on it day and night. As a result of that, They are like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all that they do. If we would just get this, the Bible, folks, we've got to get our Bibles out, blow the dust off. We've got to get them open again, whether they are paper Bibles or electronic Bibles. We have got to get our Bibles open. It's only the Word of God, the information on the page, the Logos, the written Word of God becoming the Rema, the living Word of God, information becoming revelation, that transformation will take place in my life. But it happens only through meditation when I'm in the presence of Jesus and I'm reading the Word and I'm processing the Word and I'm thinking on the Word. When that happens, something changes inside of me permanently. You guys out there? I hope you're getting this. Do I feel of little value in this life? Do I feel of little worth? Do I, do I feel, because of the, the experiences that I've had, the pain that I've felt, the rejection, do I, do I feel like I'm not as good as the next person and you know, I, God would love you, but he just wouldn't love me. And, and I, I appreciate, like he might give me a thought here and there, but you know, and I can see on your life, you've been a good fellow, you've been a good lady, you've, you've done the right things and God has just shone his blessing on you and I understand, I've made stupid choices. I'm living with one of those reputations that, that just have me, you know, held back all the time. People are never going to see me any differently. There's, there's not a lot of hope for me. I see there's hope for you. You'll get a miracle. I, I probably won't. That, that is a shocking bondage to have in your mind. And it controls everything you do. And it shows it all comes from in here. It all comes from in here. You know, um, Psalm, Psalm 139, two verses. You created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's talking about how God created you and I as human beings. Now that's only information. It's the, it's the Logos word. It's the written word. We've got to get that off the page and into our belief system. And that will only happen permanently through revelation. And the only way I can get the revelation is through the meditation, which will then lead to the revelation, which will bring the transformation. I hope you get this. Some might argue that this verse is only about David and God's heart and plan for him personally. Because, hey, it was David who wrote Psalm 139. And it's him saying, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully. Yeah, I understand. He's fearfully and wonderfully made. But I don't think I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't think I can take something that was applied to David and apply it to me. You know, the Bible is very clear that this is how God actually sees us all. Scripture interprets Scripture. You can't just take one random scripture and say that's what it means or that's what it doesn't mean. You've got to look at the whole gamut of scripture and see what does it balance out? What's the spirit of scripture actually say? Romans chapter 8. I've just picked a few verses out here. Let me read this quickly to you because this is only information. You need to go home and, and, and meditate on it so that it becomes revelation. What shall we say in response to these negative things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for David. Is it up on the screen? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for George. Gave him up for John. Gave him up for the good people. Oh, oh, oh. Technology is supposed to help us. <laughs> oh, maybe I shouldn't look at it and it'll come back. It might have got self-conscious. Gave him up for us all. So that Psalm 139 is David just talking about all of us. He's just acknowledging it for him personally. That's what we have to do. We have to get in God's presence, in the presence of Jesus. And then our heart will start to burn within us. And he'll start to breathe on his word. And his word starts to come alive. He gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I'm going to add to the Bible right now. Don't be offended. But who shall separate us? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Shall criticism or rejection or schoolyard bullying or foolish choices or poverty or abuse or tragic events? Shall they separate us from the love of Christ? No, Paul said, in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else. So you can't say, oh, well, it didn't include my problem. (laughs) No, he's going, I haven't got enough ink. Back then they didn't have enough of anything. He said, I'll just say anything else. And then if anyone in 2018 starts saying, oh, well, it didn't include my problem. So it can't be me that they're talking about. Or anything else will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, this is a cracker. For he, God the Father chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. David's not just talking about himself. He's talking about every single one of us. 
The whole gamut of Scripture tells us that. However, at this stage, everything that I've just shared with you, everything you're reading up there right now, it's just information. And information will not bring transformation. Transformation only comes by the renewing of our mind. And that only happens with revelation. Find somewhere quiet. Somewhere peaceful. We have got to make room for God. We have got to make room for the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced if we said, I've got no time for anything, I'm so busy, but I'm just going to cut something out and I'm going to make time for God. He will then multiply your ability to actually fill all the other hours that are left and some. What we sow is what we reap. You know, I, I, when, we, when we make time for God, when we leave room for God, something begins to burn inside of our heart. I, I've walked numerous times praying, seeking God, looking to God for a message, for clarity. And, and when I take that time out and I focus my mind on Him and I stay my mind on Him, it's not just peace that I feel, revelation begins to flow. The Word of God, the information becomes revelation. And where the information through meditation, becomes revelation that will lead to your personal transformation. Such transformation will lead to divine activation. You will be fruitfully active in life if it all goes from that. I hope I haven't given you too much information. If we have our band back, let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your Holy Spirit that has been given to us to help us, to empower us, to engrace us with your power, your ability, that, Lord, we can be people who are growing out of bondage, growing out of addictions, growing out of baggage that has filled our hearts with emotions that are not of your design. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we set time aside, as we, we take the time to stop and meditate and think about the Scriptures, Lord, if, if we just pick a problem that we have struggled with for so long and then we go looking for the information in your Word about that problem and then, Lord, we start meditating on that information, I pray, Lord, that we will start to see more and more people across our congregation receive revelation and we'll start to see transformation. Chains will break. Bondages will break. Fears will go. Phobias will go. Social dysfunctions will be rectified and realigned and personality disorders will be healed and life will begin to flow. We need Your Word. It's Your Word, Lord, that brings light It's the entrance of your word that brings light. Your word is a light to our path. Father, I pray today that your word would come back to us afresh and that we would walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen.